What is up, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 54 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and I am back. It's been longer than I anticipated, but I am back. This is the first episode of the new year. I am coming to you from beautiful, sunny Las Vegas, Nevada, although it's colder than you would expect here. It's like high 30s right now, is in the 40s when I landed last night, so not ideal, but we're still going to make the most of it. Very glad to be back on the road. Very glad to be back in Las Vegas, and then we'll move on from here to California, actually doing a road trip, my first ever time driving with a colleague, many of you know Colin Stevenson from Newsday. We're going to be doing the road trip, the old school, the uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas style drive through the desert from Vegas out to L.A., actually Anaheim first, to, to follow the Rangers into California on this West Coast trip. So it should be interesting. I'll definitely keep you guys posted on that. Vegas is, is always a really super cool city to visit. I'm actually staying right now in the Excalibur Hotel, which is an old hotel, definitely not the nicest hotel in Vegas. It's been around for a while, but it's right next to the arena, so it's super convenient. And this is actually the first hotel that I ever stayed in when I came to Vegas. I don't know why, but my mom brought me here as a 16-year-old, which in retrospect was, was really kind of silly and kind of sucked for me because I'd be walking around the hotels and the casino floors. And not that I was trying to gamble at the time, but they'd be carting me and kicking me away from tables and not really letting me do much fun stuff at all. So in retrospect, kind of a weird vacation choice. But at the same time, kind of interesting being back here and, and definitely fun being back here for the first time since the pandemic started. Although... As many of you are aware of, and uh, you know, especially those of you who follow me on Twitter and all that, this has been a, a really crazy few weeks for me personally, because right after the final practice, right before they went to the holiday break, so it was that Tuesday before Christmas, that night in the car with my fiance and the baby, and start getting the feeling like my nose is running. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is a cold. I don't know what's going on. Try not to think too much of it. Of course, the COVID thought pops into your head, but we were on our way to see my in-laws who we were supposed to spend Christmas with the previous year, and they actually got COVID, so we had to cancel the trip. So last thing we wanted to do was think about having our Christmas ruined again. So, you know, again, it was just a runny nose in the car. Didn't think too much of it. Get to Maryland, go to sleep. The next morning, that Wednesday, I woke up, and that's when I really started to feel it tired, super sleepy, body aches, nothing that got too, too bad, but it, it definitely became clear to me at that point that, that I thought I had COVID, went and got tested, the rapid was positive, the PCR was positive, and so we entered our quarantine. Unfortunately, and I still feel terrible about this, my fiance got it, the baby got it, who thankfully really didn't show any symptoms. That I was really worried about that, and thankfully he came through it fine bunch of other family got it because in the days before we left, when I was still feeling fine and had no symptoms and no indication that this was coming, we had dinners with a couple different family members. And anyway, it was a mess. I really felt bad. Thankfully, nobody got too sick, but it sort of happened really fast. And I had actually been around the team, you know, mask on, distanced and all that in the practices right before, which apparently, according to what my doctor says, is when I was most contagious. So that was unfortunate as well. I had to alert the Rangers, had to go through all those processes. Ended up being away from the team for about 12 days in total, which, you know, I missed that Florida trip. I missed some practices that they had back at the training facility coming out of the Christmas break. It ended up working out okay. Again, the biggest thing was that we came through it healthy. Nobody in the family got too sick. Uh, you know, we did our proper quarantines and we hydrated and we slept a lot and we, and we did all that stuff. And I was able to rejoin the team for Sunday's home game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then I was also there Monday for that win over Edmonton. So I, I got back for what turned out to be two of the biggest Rangers wins of the season. And so it's kind of been an exciting time for Rangers fans right now because early in the season, they were winning a lot. But you looked at the schedule and you looked at the record against the teams that were in playoff position and you could poke some holes in it. It's getting harder to do that right now. I still see some people who seem to be trying to pick those wins apart. People saying Tampa isn't the same. Edmonton is slumping. But in my opinion, you're really, you're really stretching here. We've talked about beating the teams in front of you, beating the teams on the schedule. The Rangers did that early in the season when they were playing teams that are likely going to miss the playoffs. 
And now they're doing it against teams that are likely going to make the playoffs. These are dangerous teams with some of the best players in the world. And the Rangers beat them both convincingly. They shut out the Lightning on Sunday, 4 nothing win. And then on, on Monday, they really handled the Oilers, who, as we saw earlier in the year, when they were in Edmonton, the Rangers had a commanding 4-1 to lead in that game, and they blew it. Connor McDavid and company took over in the third period, and they ended up putting up six goals on the Rangers. And I think that was part of the wake-up call that we saw right around that time where they felt like they were having a lot of defensive issues and turnover issues and some of those mistakes that we talked about back in November. They've done a pretty good job of cleaning up. So you can say what you want about those wins, but you have to mark those down as some of the biggest signature wins of the season. And you also look at what Tampa did the very next night. They go and smoke Columbus. I think the score was 7-2. to two. And now they have the best points total in the league. So Tampa is still a, a very, very good team. Still one of the Stanley Cup front runners. They won the last two. So beating that team twice in a row, especially the way that it looked on Sunday when they had Vasilevsky back, who many people will tell you is the best goalie in the world. The Rangers scored on him four times and held the Lightning to, to no goals. This is something you got to feel really good about if you're the Rangers right now. There's no need for any negativity at this point. This this has been all positive for the most part since they came back from that Christmas break, that extended COVID break, whatever you want to call it. The Rangers, by the way, are one point behind the Lightning for the best record in the league, so uh, or the best points total in the league, I should say. So they're in very strong position, tied for first place in the Metro Division right now, getting ready to play Vegas in that game on Thursday. Now, the one bad news or piece of bad news here, we should say, is that Artemi Panarin remains in COVID protocol. He is not expected to be activated for this game in Vegas. After that, his five days will be up. The league did reduce the isolation time from 10 days to five days based on the new CDC guidelines as far as guys that enter COVID protocol. So Panarin could, in theory, be back for that Anaheim game on Saturday. But Thursday against Vegas against Gerard Gallant's old team. The Rangers are going to be without their best player. But here's the thing. In Panarin's absence, everybody, and you could point to a lot of different guys, have really stepped up. They beat the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions and the Edmonton Oilers, who have two of the best, if not the two best scorers in the whole world, without their very best player. So that should tell you even more about how well the Rangers are rolling right now. We could go through the guys that, that stepped up. There's a few of them for sure that I want to mention here. Mika Zibanejad, he had the hat trick in that game against Tampa. I think he's been playing really well. Even before the break, we saw a lot of signs. He was starting to score a little bit more. His all-around game we've talked about I think has been really good all season. And he was aggressive with his shot in that game against Tampa in particular. And he really looks like a guy who is hitting his stride and maybe getting hot at the right time for the Rangers right now. And then the other, the other group I want to talk about is that second line. With Panarin out, Alexi Lafreniere got the opportunity to slide up into the top six. He really has not been in that top six since I looked it up. He played there for the first four games of the season, and then he's been mostly in the bottom six since then. He got this opportunity with Panarin out, and he has seized the opportunity. I thought he looked really good in that game on Sunday against the Lightning. He didn't get any points, but... You could just see him playing with a little extra jump, as Gerard Gallant said. You saw him being really aggressive on the forecheck. Barclay Gaudreau scored a goal in that game, and I thought that it was really in part created by Lafreniere being pesky on the forecheck and sort of pursuing the puck in the offensive zone, not letting Tampa get a clean breakout, and it leads to the turnover, which ultimately leads to the goal. So I I thought he looked really good in that game. And then the next game on Monday against the Oilers, he gets rewarded for those efforts. He gets two points, scores the first goal of the game, gets the primary assist to Gaudreau on the second goal of the game, and and had one of his best games, no doubt, of the season. So his confidence right now is exactly where you need it to be. I think we're going to talk in the next segment about how you ride that, how do you continue that, how do you, you know, make sure that he doesn't take a step back after taking this step forward. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. But part of that is this line that he's playing on with Ryan Strom and Barclay Goudreau. It looked a little makeshift. It looked like you're just piecing things together because Panarin is out what you are. But those guys have been really good. They were really good on Sunday and then even better on Monday. I thought they were the Rangers' best line in that game against Edmonton. And Ryan Strom, 
We've talked about this guy many times on the program before, but he is – the narrative that he is only good because he plays with Panarin is silly. Throw it out the window. Get rid of it. It's not something that we should even be discussing anymore. He may have been – while playing in the same game as Connor McDavid, he may have been the best player on the ice. Now, obviously, he's not better than Connor McDavid, but in that particular game – I thought he was the most effective forward on the ice. I thought he had one of his best games of the season at a time when the Rangers really needed them. And, and you could sort of see with Panarin out, Strom is a little more assertive. A lot of times when he's playing with Panarin, he's looking to pass more often. But he scores a goal in this game against the Oilers. He had some really good uh, good assist plays. He he, The first play that led to the Lafreniere goal, he was super aggressive on the forecheck getting behind the net to chase a puck that Ryan Lindgren had dumped in, beats the goalie to it, and then makes a tremendous pass into the slot to find Lafreniere all around. I mean, defensively, I thought he was solid. So he took the onus of Panarin's out. I need to drive play on this line. And he he did it really effectively on Monday. And Barclay Gaudreau, who is, I guess, sort of the afterthought on that line in some ways, I think he has played his best stretch since he came to the Rangers coming out of this Christmas break. Maybe part of that was playing against his old team, wanted to show them something, having a little extra juice for that matchup. But Barclay Gaudreau, to me, not only because he's putting up points, and he's put up, I think, like five points in the last four games or something like that, or three games. Not only that, he has been everything the Rangers want in terms of that pesky four-checker, that solid defender. Ryan Strom talked about how good he is with his stick and breaking plays up and creating turnovers that way. He's been the best that he's looked at since he came to the Rangers, definitely in this stretch since they came out of the holiday break. And then the goaltending, especially in the last two games, has been really, really good. Igor Shosturkin gets that shutout against Tampa on Sunday. I thought his first two games back, you could see some signs of rust, which was to be expected. He hadn't played in almost a month. But that game on Sunday, that looked like vintage Igor. That looked like the Igor that we saw earlier in the season, which is a great sign for the Rangers. And then the bigger question mark, I thought, was Monday when you knew Alexander Georgiev was going to play. He had quieted some of the doubters during that stretch when Igor was injured. But then he went from December 17th until January 3rd, it was, without playing. So that was a long stretch without playing. And we've heard him talk earlier in the season about how That's difficult for him. That's not something that he enjoys, obviously, and it makes it harder for him to stay sharp. So I was wondering after that layoff of a few weeks, what was he going to look like? Well, he looked really good. He was able to carry over that confidence that he had gained during that stretch when Igor was out, and he looked really good against Edmonton on Monday. So now what you have is you have both goalies playing really well for the first time all season. Igor carried the team earlier in the season, but then... When he got hurt, there was a lot of doubts about Georgiev because in the beginning of the season, if you remember, when Georgiev was getting those starts once every 10, 12 days, he was really shaky. But then he picked up some steam when Igor went out, and now you have them both healthy, and they both seem to be playing really well. So that gives the Rangers a lot of confidence no matter who they have in net. A lot of good things happening for this team again right now. Panarin's out, so that's obviously the main negative. That's the headline right now as far as things that aren't going the Rangers' way, but As far as the way that this team is playing, there's a lot of good signs right now. And then you get Panarin back over the weekend, and and that that should only bolster the lineup. That should only make them better. So practice is coming this afternoon. I'm recording this in the morning from Vegas, but the practice is 1 o'clock here, so it'll be 4 o'clock your time. So I want to try to use this time usefully and, and get some of the podcast out of the way. I'll probably wait to record the final segment of the show so I can provide updates on anything that happened to practice today. I'm not expecting anything major. Like I said, Panarin's expected to be out still. I don't think they're going to change up the lines from what we've seen the last couple games or anything like that. So we'll see what happens. I'll update you guys later on in the show. But in the meantime, this being the first episode of the new year, I wanted to make it all about you guys, the fans. Rather than having a guest on while juggling all this travel and all that, this middle segment of the show is going to be devoted to me running through a whole bunch of your questions because it's been a few weeks. I intended to take the week between Christmas and New Year's off, but because of the COVID thing happening on the day I was supposed to record the week prior to that, it's been two weeks since we spoke. So 
A lot of stuff's happened. I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions. I've been watching them come in on Twitter as we're recording this first segment. I'm going to just run through a lot of them right now. And then after that, I'll come back at the end of the show to update you on, on what I saw at practice. So here we go with the questions. All right, let's dive into some of your Twitter questions. I'm just clicking in now, and it looks like there's a lot. So we're going to just kind of go through this rapid fire. Some I'm sure I'll spend more time on than others, and we'll see how long it goes and and where it takes us. I'm I'm sure I'll cut it off at a certain point so we can move on because I do have to get to practice. Now, a little background here. Usually what I do is I go through the Twitter questions before I start recording and pick out three and, and think a little bit about how I might want to answer them or if I want to do any prep or whatever. In this situation, which I've done a few times, but it it seems like it'll be more fun this way, especially since I'm trying to do more than three, I'm just clicking on it, going in blind. I have obviously some ideas of what you guys might want to talk about this week, but we're going to just kind of see where this takes us. So might get a little crazy here, kids. We're going to start. The very first one is from David Shapiro, who wants to know my take on pineapple pizza. I'll be happy to give that, but let's save the off the ice stuff for the end. I see a couple, actually, there's a couple pizza questions in here. You guys know I like my pizza. All right. Here we have one from Nikki Kirshner, who asks If you were the head coach, which I am very much not, when Panarin comes back, how would you shuffle the line to keep as much of the short term magic of Laugh, Strom, Gaudreau together? It's been a treat to say to see Laugh play a couple of truly solid games. So, Nikki, this is a good question. This is definitely something that is on my mind. I wrote about it a little bit after the game on Monday, and I'm very, very curious to see what Gallant decides to do when Panarin comes back. As I mentioned in the first segment of the show, I think if you're looking for a target date, that Saturday game in Anaheim may be the one, but of course he's got to clear protocols and you got to make sure he's symptom free and and all that kind of stuff. So no guarantee on that, but it's definitely a possibility. When Panarin comes back, one thing that we should say right off the top is I don't see any way that he is not playing on that same line with Ryan Strom. Some people have asked me in the last couple days, could you see them putting him on the third line with Hedl and Gauthier? I would definitely say no to that. I, I think the chemistry between Panarin and Strom, we know what it is. We know that whether it was David Quinn or now Gerard Gallant, they have been very reluctant to break that up, I think for good reason. And I do think that you will see Panarin with Strom when he comes back. The question is, who's the third guy? If Capo Caco is going to stay on the top line with Mika and Kreider, which by all accounts he will, what do you do at that right wing spot on the second line? I think the Dryden-Hunt experiment at this point is probably over. Hunt profiles better in your bottom six. There were some reasons that we've addressed before that I thought that Hunt could have worked well in that spot. He brought some of those Jesper Fast elements that we've talked about before. But if you're looking for that kind of player, my belief is that right now, Barclay Gaudreau is doing those things better than Dryden-Hunt is. Gaudreau, as I talked about earlier, has been playing his best stretch of hockey so far with the Rangers in the last few games. I think you want to ride that for as long as you could. And that's why I do think there's a very strong chance you're going to see Gaudreau stay in that right wing spot when Panarin comes back and that will be your second line. And you could see how it goes. And sort of the beauty of that is Gaudreau is a guy who comes into this with no ego, does not seem to care what position he plays, does not seem to care which line he plays on. So you can ride it while it's hot. And then if the time comes when you feel like you need to move him back into the bottom six, move someone else up, there's not going to be any issues with doing that. You don't have to worry about upsetting the player or shaking the boat when you make that kind of move. So I would guess, I think that's what Gallant might do, but there's clearly another option here, clearly something that needs to be talked about, clearly an elephant in the room, and this is what I wrote about on Monday. The Rangers, at some point, as we talked about in the preseason, as we talked about early in the season, and we're going to talk about again now. Need to figure out if any of those three left-wingers, Kreider, Panarin, or Lafreniere, can play on the right side. They tried it for only four games this season to begin the year. 
Lafreniere wasn't comfortable on the right side. They gave Kreider a little bit of looks there. Didn't seem to work out too well. He's been so good on the left. I I have a hard time seeing them move Kreider with the production that he's put up so far this year. He's up to 20 goals and and clearly is more comfortable on the left side. Lafreniere, I absolutely get the argument. I've made the argument myself before that for a young player like that, why would you mess with him? Why would you want to put him on the side where he isn't as comfortable? But my, my thinking is starting to change a little bit on that. He's got more experience now, played 30-plus games so far this season, and he seems to be playing so well with Strom in particular that I think the Rangers have to give serious consideration to keeping him on that second line. Now think about it. We've seen Lafreniere used on the top line with Mika and Kreider. The results, they didn't give it a really long look, but the results weren't all that favorable, and obviously they didn't like what they saw enough to keep it together. What we haven't seen is Lafreniere get a chance on that Panarin-Strom line. So this gets the wheels turning. This makes you think this is what I'm kind of curious to see. And from there, I saw another question in here about whether Panarin might be capable of switching to the right wing. The Rangers have always been reluctant to do that. He's your best forward, and I think that they've given him priority, I guess you could say, as far as keeping him where he's most comfortable. But Lafreniere, whether it's him on the right side or whether maybe you give Panarin a look on the right, I think it might be worth trying because a few reasons. Number one, at some point, one of those guys is going to need to get comfortable playing on the right side if you're going to fit them all in the top six. And Lafreniere, with the confidence that we're seeing from him right now, with the uptick in his play, I think it would be really difficult to look at him and say, okay, we're moving you back into the bottom six. That kid line with him and Hedl and Gautier, listen, they've got good analytics. They've got good underlying numbers. I know that. But there's something missing there. They have not been able to finish their opportunities, and I think the the lust has worn off a little bit. I think their last handful of games that they played together before the lineup got shifted around because of Panarin coming out, to me, were more underwhelming. They weren't as impressive as some of the stuff we saw early or in the season, and even then, they weren't producing goals. You, you can look at all the analytics you want, but if you're not producing and you know that none of those guys are really strong defensive players, I don't think that that's a long-term solution, keeping those guys together. I've really come around on that. I think Gautier and Hedl, in particular to me recently, have not been great. I think a lot of guys in the lineup have been good, but those two guys have been a little quiet recently. I think some of the flash that we saw from Gautier has worn off, and Hedl, for the last 20 games or so, has not really scored. I think he's had one goal in that in that span, so... I don't think keeping that kid line together is the way to go long term. I think eventually you need to find a way to get Lafreniere in the top six. I think right now he's playing well enough where you could make the argument that he's earned an extended look there. And if that means he has to shift to the right wing, so be it. We actually saw him make that pass to Gaudreau the other night from the right wing, which set up the Gaudreau's goal, the second goal of the game for the Rangers in that game against Edmonton. So to me... I would give serious consideration to keeping him on the second line, moving Gaudreau back into the bottom six, and seeing how Panarin, Strom, and Lafreniere, however you want to arrange it, seeing how that works out. I think it's worth a look. You haven't seen those three really play together before. All right. Let's move on to the next one. And this one comes from Big Lou. Big Lou's next in line here. And this is a question that a lot of people were asking, not just today, but in the last couple of days, it seems like these rumors are intensifying. So Lou wants to know, do the Rangers have any interest in Jacob Chikrin, the defenseman from the Arizona Coyotes, or is he out of their price range? I want to say a few things on this. Number one, my belief, and this has been what I've been led to believe for the last couple of months, is that The Rangers' priority when it comes to the trade deadline is going to be a forward, not a defenseman. I think if you look at the construction of this roster, I think if you look at the depth of the roster, even beyond what you see in the NHL and on the taxi squad, they're much deeper when it comes to defensemen than they are with forwards, especially when you factor in the Sammy Blay injury. It's been quite clear that the Rangers need another forward to insert into the top nine, whether it be a right winger or a center, who can help 
take this team to the next level, who could solidify this team as they really gear up for what is obviously a playoff push and, and what looks like it will be a playoff appearance. So I absolutely think that's the way they want to go. We've talked about the cap space that they have. We've talked about the likelihood that it's going to be a one-year rental as opposed to a multi-year player because after this season, the salary cap situation gets really tight for the Rangers. So my belief is that if they have to pick one or the other, forward is absolutely the priority over defensemen. Now, in theory, could they try to get both? It's not out of the realm of possibility. They will have the cap space, at least for this season, to maybe do that. And Chikrin checks a lot of boxes. He's young, only 23 years old, very talented, not having the best year right now, but has been very good early on in his NHL career. His contract, very reasonable, $4.6 million for three years beyond this season. That's a very fair price, but think about this. If you acquire him and commit to paying him 4.6 for the next three years beyond this, unless you're sending other salary back and sacrificing other players, you know, would you give up a Ryan Lindgren who makes $3 million? Would you give up some of the other guys that are sort of in that price range or higher? That might be a difficult pill to swallow. And ultimately, if you don't send significant salary back, acquiring a player like Chikrin is going to probably cost you Ryan Strom. And then what do you do is for second line center? That becomes a, a glaring issue. Defenseman right now is not a glaring issue to me. They have their top four set with Lindgren Fox, Truba Miller. And as far as the bottom pair goes, which I, based on the questions I'm seeing, we're going to talk about a little bit more in a moment. But as far as the bottom pair goes, yes, they're young, but Nils Lundqvist, Zach Jones, Braden Schneider, and then the guys that have been around a little longer, whether it's a Patrick Nemeth, a Jared Tenority, a Libor Hayek, there's a lot of different options. Now, that might not be the strongest bottom pair in the league, but there's a lot of different ways that the Rangers can play it. And over the course of the season, you would have to think and hope that you can figure it out and put together at least a halfway decent bottom pair to help you make this playoff push. Now, Chikrin obviously is not going to be a bottom pair guy. If you acquire him, he's going to be a, a top four guy, but that would mean either trading one of those top four guys you currently have or moving one down. And then you basically have really loaded de- decor at Hartford or an excessive amount of defensemen on your roster and on the taxi squad. I just don't see that as as much of a need. It would be more of a luxury than a need. The forward thing to me is definitely more of a need. And long-term, if you bring in a $4.6 million player, which is pretty much exactly what Ryan Strome makes right now, and you know that you can't afford much more than that looking ahead to next season as far as acquiring a new player, Adding a defenseman who's paid like that is probably going to cost you Ryan Strom. And again, I ask, what are you doing at second line center if you don't have Ryan Strom or another guy in that price range of that or near that quality? I don't think Filipino has inspired enough confidence to do it. And even if you did move Filipino up, who's your third line center? I think there's too many question marks there to commit to a defenseman who you're going to have to pay beyond this season. I think it's a stretch. Could I could I see reasons for the Rangers being interested in him? Of course. A quality young player like that at a reasonable contract is going to draw interest from a lot of people. But I also have a hard time seeing Arizona giving that up unless they get blown away with a trade offer. And if you're the Rangers, do you want to sacrifice future cap space, potentially hurt your depth at center, while also trading away multiple prospects, draft picks, whatever, but putting together a massive package like that, I think it's a stretch. To me, I don't see a whole lot of smoke to follow this fire. I I understand the rumors about him getting traded because the Coyotes are frankly so bad, and, and we could probably see them exploring a lot of different options as the trade deadline approaches. But the Rangers, with the center depth that they have and knowing that they need to pay someone, whether it be Strom or someone else next season, and then the depth of defensemen and all the different prospects that we know they're not going to be able to fit in the long term. I I just don't see it being a necessity to go out and get a player like that. And quite frankly, I don't get the sense right now that the Rangers are heavily involved. Have Have they explored it? Have they made calls? I wouldn't be surprised about that. But if you're asking me if I think they're actually going to land him, my answer would be no. 
All right, next question comes from Keith Chattenover. And Keith asks, is there any chance for Joe Pawlowski from the Dallas Stars? Now this, ladies and gentlemen, this, my friends, makes a lot more sense if you ask me. Pawlowski is, in my opinion, exactly the type of player that the Rangers would like to acquire to add into their top nine. He's been a high-level performer for the Dallas Stars the last few years, or several years, really. He's 37 years old, so the age is up there, but he's still a highly productive player, and he's only under contract for the rest of the season. He comes with a $7 million cap hit, but then he's a free agent. And again, I know a lot of people don't like the idea of giving up assets for somebody who's probably not going to be around beyond this season, but that's the situation the Rangers are in. They have the cap space now. They won't have it this offseason. So a one-year rental is much more likely going to be the reality here than a multi-year player. So as much as you would like to acquire a young guy in his 20s who's under contract at a reasonable rate for several years, that is probably less likely than it is going to be getting a guy who's in the final year of his contract and will just make you a better team right here and now and give them a better chance to have success in these playoffs. Pawlowski is a strong defensive player. He's a productive offensive player. He's one of the best net front guys in the league. Now, you have Chris Kreider, obviously, but imagine putting Pawlowski on your second power play unit. That makes them much more efficient. That's, if anything, maybe the weak spot on that power play two unit right now. They don't have an established guy there. Pawlowski could definitely do that. You look at his defensive metrics the last few years, definitely a solid player in that regard, a veteran, been there, done that, could really add some leadership to this team. So I think that there's a lot of reasons that a guy like Pawlowski makes sense, and I would not be surprised at all if he's someone that the Rangers are inquiring. Now, the key is, what's the deal with the Stars? Are they in the playoff race? Are they not? Are they ready to sell? Are they not? It's probably going to be a little more time before that situation declares itself. But Pawlowski is a name that has come up in some of my conversations, and I would not be shocked to, to see things heat up in that regard as we move closer to the March 21st trade deadline. All right. Next question. Let's keep scrolling here. Nate Terrell wants to ask about rumors swirling that the Rangers could trade Heedle at or around the deadline. Have you heard any rumblings? And what do you suspect a return looking like? I can't say specifically that I've heard that the Rangers are shopping Heedle, but I do believe that Heedle was one of the guys during the summer that the Rangers weren't opposed to dealing in the right trade if if they felt that it helped them in other areas. And based on what he's done so far this season, I don't think that he'd be a guy that the Rangers would be opposed to discussing in a deal. The talent's there. We've talked about it at length. But this is a guy who's now in his fifth season with the team and still hasn't quite popped. I thought his best stretch that we've seen him play was at the beginning of last season when he he was maybe their best forward for the first five games of the season. And then he had that hand injury and then he got COVID, ended up missing an extended amount of time and really never quite got back to that level. So that to me was was a huge blow for him because I felt like he looked like he was ready to break out and then he never really got the chance to see it through. This season, you're still waiting for it. You just feel like you're constantly waiting for him to break through and you see flashes of it. But lately, I don't think he's been one of the Rangers' more impressive forwards. I think the top six has been really good, especially that that second line that's now playing with Panarin out. And I think some of the guys in the bottom six have done their thing as far as defending and being physical. But Heedle's a guy who you look, or the Rangers are looking to get some offense from in that bottom six, and he really hasn't done it yet. So it would not shock me if his name popped up in trade rumors, whether it's this trade deadline, whether it's next summer. I think the Rangers really are getting to the point where they have to make some major decisions about what they're going to do with their long-term center situation. Obviously, Mika's locked up long-term. Strom's a guy we're going to talk about a little bit more in a minute. Will he be here? Will he not? And Hedl's a guy who I think a lot of people were hoping might have proven by now that he could be a top six caliber center. But I think if anything, people are wondering more, does he need to be moved to the wing? And then if that happens, then what does your center depth look like? So Hedl's a guy that it would not shock me if if you hear his name bantered about. Maybe not this trade deadline. I mean, it's possible, but next summer might even be a more prime time for that. We'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. But he does not strike me as a player that the Rangers view as untouchable right now by any stretch. All right. 
Let's keep going. I see a couple of Libor Hayek questions here. Now, it seems that there's a few people. I see definitely not Dylan asked one here. I see a couple others. Yeah, I see Hayek's name, G. Martin Duke. People seem to want to know what the deal with Hayek is because he did not play in the first 25 games of the season. And now all of a sudden, we've seen an extended stretch where they're keeping him in the lineup. And they're Part of that was necessitated by COVID and guys being out, but now they're getting healthier again. We've seen Ryan Lindgren come back. Patrick Nemeth, we don't know if he's going to be available yet as far as Thursday's game in Vegas, but the Rangers have more options now. And in the previous game, they chose to scratch Nils Lundqvist and keep Libor Hayek in the lineup. Now, to me... That spoke more to the Rangers not wanting to expose a bottom pair of Lundqvist and Zach Jones to the Edmonton Oilers, who have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on such a high-powered offensive attack. I don't think the Rangers view a Jones-Lundqvist pairing as being something that they can do for an extended stretch. I've told you guys about this on the podcast before. I know a lot of people want to see that because those are two of the best defensemen prospects in the organization, and it would be exciting and all that. But realistically, you've got two guys who are undersized, two guys who are question marks defensively, are much more known as offensive defensemen, and are going to be guys that want to push up in the rush. That's not a balanced pair. That's not something the Rangers see as workable. That's not something that they really want to do, I don't think, for more than a game or two if they had to. They did it in the Tampa Bay game, and they got by with it. Neither of them played a whole lot of minutes. But that's not something, for obvious reasons, because of the redundant skill sets that I think they would want to continue beyond just a game here or a game there. Ideally, the Rangers want one of those guys in the lineup, and then they want another guy who they look at as more of a stable defensive presence. I think Nemeth had he been available, probably would have been the guy over Hayek. But I think Hayek brings a little bit more size, a little bit more experience. In their minds, probably a little more of a steady defensive presence. They kind of feel like they know what they're going to get with him a little bit more. And that's why you saw him play with Jones. What really is interesting here, what's shaking out, is sort of a competition between Lundqvist and Jones for which guy's going to be in the lineup. Because I, I don't see the Rangers having both of them in the lineup a lot. I think it's usually going to be one or the other. And Jones has played two games in a row now. Clearly, as Gerard Glant told us after the game the other day, they want to give him a look. They feel like he's earned the opportunity. He's here. And it seems that they've come to the conclusion that they're going to give him at least a couple games. We'll find out if he's going to be in the lineup again against Vegas. Hayek, to me, in these games, has been okay. There's been no glaring mistakes or very few, I should say, which is which is a positive. But at the same time, you're not seeing a whole lot out of him that gets you excited either, which is basically what we've seen from him the last couple of years. We know there's a very, very small chance of him carving out a role on this decor as, as we look ahead, especially as the Rangers get healthy and as more of these prospects like a Braden Schneider start to impact the roster and, and look like they're ready to play at the NHL level. So Hayek, I mean, I get the fascination because he was part of that Ryan McDonough trade and fans are wondering why he's even still in the on the roster. Why do the Rangers carry eight defensemen? Why did they make it such a priority to keep him on the roster coming out of training camp? We've talked about that before. I think he's been okay recently. I think he hasn't been a liability when he's been in the lineup, but I also think that you're probably going to get similar production or similar play by playing a guy like Nemeth. And I do think that when Nemeth is available, he's been out for Gallant called it personal reasons the last couple of games. I do think that when Nemeth is ready to go back in, there's a decent chance you're going to see Hayek come out of the lineup. So I don't think there's really too much there to talk about. I, I think you can plug him in and not feel like it's a, it's a total desperation move or not feel like he's absolutely going to kill you out there. But I also think that when the Rangers are fully healthy, it's really hard envisioning seeing him staying in the lineup. All right, let's go maybe one more. I got to get going in a minute here, but let's keep scrolling. Eric Talvi, or Eric the event guy, wants to know, what is the latest on the Strom contract negotiations? He's looking rather indispensable, but it may price him too high to re-sign if his price, basically saying if he's asking for $7 million uh, per year range. 
If that's the case, would the Rangers self-rent or look to move him for assets? So, Eric, I reported a month, maybe closer to two months ago, that the Rangers have absolutely internally come to the conclusion that they would like to keep Strom. We talked at the beginning of the show about how valuable he's been, how the narrative that Panarin carries him is long gone. He, he's disproven that. He's obviously a valuable player. He's obviously capable of being a top six level center. And he definitely showed that in that last game against Edmonton. And he's shown it time and time again, frankly, in the last couple of years. And from the Rangers perspective, knowing that their salary cap situation is so tight next year, it's harder for them to dream big of landing, just for argument's sake, a Tomas Hurdle. Because a guy who's going to push more into that seven, eight million dollar per year range is going to be much harder for them to afford. It's not saying that it's impossible for them to afford that, afford that, but it would force them to make other sacrifices, and it really would not be an ideal situation for them as far as other young players who are going to need raises in the next couple of years. Ideally, they would like this second line center, whether it's Strom or someone else, to fall into that as I reported five to six million dollar range per year. And I do believe that the Rangers are willing to give Strom a contract that falls into that range. So if they could get him for, let's say, $5.5 million per year, I think there's a strong likelihood that that's a deal that will get done. The question is, from Strom's perspective, does he want to do that? We know he loves it here. I can tell you that he seems like one of the happiest guys on the team at all times. I can tell you that he is beloved by his teammates, one of the most popular guys in the locker room, no doubt about it. So there is, I think, a chance of, let's call it a hometown discount. But how much of a discount is he willing to give? Because if this guy were to hit the open market and he comes off a season where he's averaging close to a point per game again and has really solidified himself as a top six caliber center, he could probably make more than five and a half million or so on the open market. So does he want to go and maximize his value, which I don't think anybody could blame him for? Or does he want to stay here, be a part of what the Rangers are building for the extended run, see this thing all the way through, and accept a little less money to do so? I think that is the real question here because I do think the Rangers want to re-sign him, but I also think that there are limits to how far they'll go to make that happen because I've laid it out in various stories, and I'm sure we'll tackle it again before the offseason. But if you look at the salary cap situation going into next year, they have very, very little wiggle room. They don't have a lot of money left to lock up a second-line center, to pay Capo Caco, and to do the other little things that they're going to need to do to, to round out the roster. And then even beyond next season, it gets even tighter. So that's the situation with Strom. I think the Rangers, if they can get it done in that 5 to $6 million range, are in. But if it goes beyond that, things could get hairy. All right. We're going to move on here because i got to go to practice soon. Really quick, pineapple pizza, don't ever mention that on my podcast again. Don't ever mention that in my, in my mentions again. It's garbage. I'll never eat it. I'll never touch it. I'm an old school New York pizza guy. I like thin crust. I like well done. I like, if you want to call it the Italian style, I like my pizza classic, simple. I have no problem with toppings. You want to throw some pepperoni or some veggies or try different kinds of stuff like that, even different sauces. I'm okay with. I can go for a white pizza. I can go for a vodka sauce. I, I, it's not that I don't experiment with my pizza at all, but no fruit on my pizza. That's garbage. Get it out of here. Never want to hear about it again. All right. <laughs> I'm going to practice. I'll check in with you guys in a little bit. All right, folks. It sounds like I didn't go anywhere, but I've actually been gone for the last few hours. Just got back from practice. Pretty cool drive out to the facility where the Knights practice here in Vegas. It's not, you know, where the strip is and all the action and all that. It's about a 20-minute ride out. Really cool view of the, the mountains. Some beautiful houses along the way. Apparently, Ryan Reeves has a house along the way. I wonder if it was one of the ones that we could see from the road because there were some really cool-looking houses along the way. But just got back from that practice and as I mentioned to you guys prior to leaving, I wasn't expecting anything too crazy to happen, barring some more COVID news or anything along those lines. The Rangers didn't really have anything like that. We did 
find out that Keandre Miller, who was not on the ice with the team, had an inconclusive test yesterday before the team left, but he's now been cleared. He is not in COVID protocol, so he is on his way to Vegas, we've been told. Gerard Gallant said during the press conference after practice that they fully expect him to be here in Vegas for Thursday's game, so no concerns there with Miller. The main theme, I guess you could call it, from today's practice was Gallant and Ryan Reeves returning to Vegas for the first time. Reeves obviously was traded to the Rangers in the offseason, and Gallant was fired by the Knights, I guess it's just about two years ago now at this point. So there was a lot of Vegas media here that wanted to talk to those guys and catch up with them. And you could just tell, and we've heard this from them before, but I think being here elicits a little more emotion from those guys. Not that either are overly emotional guys, but they, they did seem to have a real soft spot for being back here. Even Gallant was saying he talked to Kelly McCrimmon and some of the people from the Knights who were there when he was fired, but that he has no ill will or hard feelings toward them. And, and he seemed pretty happy to be back. And Reeves especially really talked about this place being a home for him. He's held on to his home here in Vegas. He owns a beer company out here in Vegas. And he said that him and his wife have have spoken about their plan being whenever it is that he does retire, they probably would like to make this their permanent home. So you could just tell that there's a real affection from those guys and that they're both happy to be here. And I think when Vegas came to New York and the Knights played at MSG, There was definitely some feelings going on there, and they talked a lot before the game about what that would be like playing their former team. But I think actually being in T-Mobile Arena out here in Vegas, and I'm sure they're going to do video tributes and all that kind of stuff, it's got a little more meaning for them actually playing them here. So so that was kind of a cool thing to be a part of and and see, you know, some of the reporters that obviously those guys knew from their time here were showing up. and, And that was sort of the main topic of conversation after practice today on Wednesday. We also talked to Zach Jones, which all the Vegas reporters scurried out of the room for that. I was joking with some of them like, hey, you guys, you guys don't want to talk to Zach Jones. But I was able to talk to him. Uh, Myself and Colin were both there for today's practice. And it was it was an interesting conversation. Zach really feels comfortable and confident. He seemed a little more wide eyed to me last season when he got a taste and got to play a handful of games with the Rangers. Now I think there's a little more of a business-like approach from him. Not that he didn't have that before, but he senses that there's an opportunity here. He can tell that there's a lot of competition in the room. He talked about that, Nils Lundqvist, among others. And that for him to stay in the lineup and have a chance of sticking, he needs to play well. And so I think, to me, he seemed very focused. He seemed like, okay, I'm not feeling overwhelmed. I'm not feeling like I've been thrown into the deep end of the pool. I feel like I'm ready for this. I feel like I can handle this, and I want to take advantage of this. So it looks like Jones, based on what we saw at practice today, will be in the lineup again for Thursday night's game. The D pairs, now Miller wasn't there. Jared Tenorti returned from COVID protocol, so he was sort of used as the placeholder next to Jacob Truba, but that was a pretty clear indication that Tenorti isn't coming in He's going he's gonna to come out and Miller will renew his spot next to Truba. The main question was the bottom pair. And based on what we saw at practice today, Jones was skating with Libor Hayek, who we talked a lot about earlier on in the show. And it looks like that is the bottom pair that the Rangers are going to roll with for Thursday's game in Vegas. Nils Lundqvist was also practicing. Tarmo Reuninen was out there for practice. They were working as sort of the fourth pair, if you want to call it that. But it looks like Lundqvist is going to miss another game here and the Rangers are going to stick with Jones for a lot of the reasons that we talked about and I explained before I even went to practice. I don't think the Rangers are totally comfortable playing the two rookies. I I know fans are clamoring for that. I know that would be the upside play. I know that would be the most exciting play for fans. But the Rangers, from what I've gathered and from what I'm seeing with my own eyes in games and now at practice, it does not look like their preference is to put those two rookies together. And I, I think that the logic behind it is fair. You can argue that Lundqvist is a better player than Hayek. I don't think a lot of people would argue against that. But it's not far-fetched or crazy to think about and understand why the Rangers would view that as a situation that isn't ideal. Nemeth was the guy that the Rangers brought in to play that role. He was obviously their preference throughout the first 
however many games of the season. But now one of the more interesting things to come out of today is that the Rangers have moved him to non-roster status. Now, they're not talking a whole lot about exactly what's going on here. We know that it's not COVID. And Gallant said today when I asked him about it, he reiterated it's personal. So he's not sick. His health is fine, it sounds like. But for whatever reason, he is not available to the team right now. And the fact that they moved him to non-roster status tells me that it might be a long shot for us to see him at any point on this West Coast trip. That could change. Obviously, things could always change. But right now, he's not with the team. He's not technically on the roster, although for those asking, he does still count against the salary cap right now. And the Rangers are proceeding without him for the time being. I don't want to speculate as to what might be going on. I hope that it's not a family matter or anything like that. I hope that everything is okay with him first and foremost. But Nemeth is unavailable to the team right now. So moving forward, at least for the next couple of games, my expectation is that you're going to see either Jones or Lundqvist on one side of that bottom pair and probably either Hayek or Tenorti on the other. And you can kick and scream about it all you want. I don't think it's it's a huge deal. And as much as I know a lot of you want to see the kids, you always want to see the kids. I know that's fans' instinct. You always want the potential over the guys that you feel like are limited as far as their upside. But you can understand why the Rangers don't feel totally comfortable with that. And I, I, I don't think it's something worth getting too worked up over, quite frankly. So that's where they stand as far as the deep pairs. Everything else looked the same. Artemi Panarin, I confirmed today, is not with the team on this part of the trip in Vegas. He still has to finish his mandatory five-day quarantine. He could be eligible to return to the team for Saturday's game in Anaheim. So that's the one I would circle on my calendar. It's definitely possible that Panarin rejoins the team when they get to California. But for now, the lines are going to stay the same as we've seen the last couple of games. And why wouldn't you? It's, it's been working, so you might as well keep rolling with it. I would also expect Igor Shesterkin to be the goalie who gets the start on Thursday against the Knights. And then the Rangers take it from there as far as when Alexander Georgiev gets in the game again. And that's where we stand. Not a whole lot of huge news to come out of practice, but I did want to finish the show by giving you guys a little update and a little insight into what we found out today in Vegas. So I will be back with another podcast next week after we're done with the L.A. portion of the trip, Anaheim and L.A. And yeah, that's it. So I'm going to go. It's time for us to go get a steak pretty soon. There's a, a steakhouse out here that a couple of us writers found a few years ago and liked. So it's become a little bit of a tradition for us to do it, although this will only be my second time going. But I think a couple of the other writers have been there a few times. So we're going to go get a nice steak, have a nice night here in Vegas, and then we'll see a game on Thursday night. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are as well. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone is staying healthy. First and foremost, that is the most important thing right now. Wear your masks, do all that stuff. Try to keep yourself safe and let's hopefully get through this. I wish everybody the best and I will talk to you next week.